brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to read to you a few verses from Hebrews chapter 9, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Uh, And I would say even when we're done praying, continue to pray for me this morning, that I would deliver God's message the way that he would have me to do it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, let's begin at verse 23. Uh, You know, really, I I, I look through this and look through this trying to figure out where's the right spot to begin and and what's the right balance about the right number of scriptures to read and so on and so forth. And and, and really need to read the whole chapter. But um, uh, anyways, I've decided to start here at verse 23. But when I'm done, I'll give a brief explanation of, of, of the whole chapter of the context. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 says it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enter into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Can I say real quick about these scriptures? If you were to go back and you were to read the whole chapter and look at what he is saying here, uh, of course he is talking about um, ultimately Christ being the Sacrifice, the Passover lamb, goes right along with what we were talking about in Sunday school. Uh, it explains to us in this chapter, I would say this portion of scripture is the uh, climax, the pendulum, whatever the right word to use there, of the doctrinal section of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I, w- I, I would say that this would be one of the most important sections in the, ter- uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, he is explaining how that uh, the tabernacle that the instructions were given to Moses to build here on this earth, right, which later the temple is built, that it is a pattern of the things in heaven. He talks about how it was purified, right, with the blood of of bulls and goats, and he briefly goes over how it was that Moses uh, was instructed and carried that out, right, the purifying of those things. But then he talks about, right, the key word through the whole book of uh, Hebrews is better. And so you see that word, if you go through there sometime, if you want to begin to study the book of Hebrews, first thing you do is is go through, read it from beginning to end, and make note every time you see that word better. Or or there's a few places there where you know that's what it means. It might use a different word, but it's better. It goes through and it talks about how the new covenant 
is a better covenant. The New Testament is better. We've got a better high priest, right? We have a better, uh, a, a, a better sacrifice, a better offering, right? It just it, we see that over and over and over again, right? Christ is better. He's better than the angels, right? It goes through that. A better messenger with a better message. We see that over and over. And here we have in our scripture, right? Uh, what I read to you, the first verse I, I read to you, the last four words or five words says, was better sacrifices than these. And so Christ is a better sacrifice, right? If we go on into chapter 10 reading, it tells us that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, right? He's talking about here how yearly the high priest would have to go in with the blood of bulls and goats, right, into the Passover land, and he would use it. He would go into the holy place and then the holy of holies and purify and cleanse, but that's just a rolling over from one year to the next. It is not, it does not redeem us from sins. It does not... Uh, give us remission of sins. It does not cleanse us from sin, right? It's all just a, a, a very dark shadow of what was to come. Christ is the ultimate, not only is he the ultimate great high priest, but he is the ultimate and final and the once and for all sacrifice. And the verse that I'm going to emphasize after we pray here in just a second is verse 27. But actually that's just an illustration and what Paul is saying. Paul uses verse 27, right? It's a point that a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. He uses that as an illustration that once, right, men die, once the, the judgment, and in that same manner, Christ died once, was offered once, was sacrificed, or gave himself a, as an offering to bear the sins of many one time. And then it says that for those who look for him shall he appear the second time, sin being taken care of unto salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, for the many blessings you poured out on us, Lord. Everything from the roof that you put over our head to the very breath that we draw, it's a gift from you. But we thank you most of all, Lord, that you sent your only begotten Son, right? The Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the perfect sacrifice. And he come and died not for his own sins, for he was without sin, but he come and died for my sins and for our sins and for the sins of the world. He paid a sin debt that he didn't know. It's one that I owed, and it's one that I could never pay in a million years. I was hopelessly lost. But God, you loved us so much that you sent your son to be that perfect sacrifice. And God, let us not take that lightly, not let us take that for granted. Uh, heaven forbid that we would trample that sacrifice under our feet. But let us always give you the praise and glory. Let us always recognize that it is only because of what Christ did that we can boldly approach you right now in prayer. It's only because of what Christ did that we can one day come and live with you in heaven forever. It is only because of what Christ did that we have forgiveness. So Lord, I just pray this morning God, that we would keep our focus and our eyes and our thoughts and our heart, intents of our heart 
on you and that we would give you the praise and the glory that you alone are due. And Lord, my prayer is if there's any among us this morning that doesn't know you, any that have not accepted what you've done for them in their behalf, any who have rejected you, any who have turned their back, any that have walked away, God, I pray one more time this morning, Lord, knock on their heart's door. God, I pray that you would just pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. God, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and turn to you before it's everlasting too late. God, my prayer this morning is have your way and your will in our midst. Moved by your sweet Holy Spirit, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And Lord, one other thing, I need your help this morning. I can't, I can't do this without you. I got nothing even worth saying unless you give it to me. So Lord, I'm praying, clear my mind of everything, except for your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you would have me to say here this morning. God, let us all know and realize and recognize, Lord, that it is you speaking to us through your word here this morning, through your spirit, through your message. And give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, for a filling of your spirit, and I'm asking for your holy unction, Lord, that you would anoint me from on high and preach me one more time here this morning. And I'll be sure and give you all the glory because I love you. And we worship you and we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to focus on that universal truth that whoever, I mentioned Paul, I think a minute ago, but we don't know for sure who was the human hand that wrote the book of Hebrews, we know that the Holy Spirit of God is ultimately the author. And in verse 27, he used what I refer to as a universal truth. Meaning it would be pretty difficult to rip that verse out of context because he is using it as an example, illustration to make his point. And it says in verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Think about that for just a moment now. He appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment. Can I, can I give a couple of qualifiers real quick here? Appointed unto men once to die. We know uh, right from the study of Scripture that there is a few exceptions to that, right? We know that Enoch, for instance, and Elijah are two uh, people from the, from the Old Testament who were taken up, who were caught up to heaven without dying. Now, depending on what, what your view of end times is, that may still happen, right? They still may have a death. I don't know for sure. I haven't got all that figured out. But we see a couple exa examples there. We know that whoever is alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, right? The, the uh, First Thessalonians tell us they will caught, be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, right? To be with Him forevermore, right? And it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trump, the last trump, that they are going to be changed, right? That this uh, corruptible must put on incorruption, right? Uh, and so anyways, we know that there is a couple exceptions there, right? We can also think about a couple exceptions that, that died twice. I think 
think of Jesus' friend, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, right? He died. He was raised from the dead uh, only to die again, right? We also know that the widow woman at, um, I've forgotten the name of that town, Nain maybe or something like that. Anyways, that her son, I preached about him a little while back, right? Her son who was dead and Jesus when he showed up and raised that boy. It was Mother's Day I preached about that and raised that boy to life, right? And we know that that was to die again. So we know that there's a couple exceptions there. But judgment, right? There's no exception to that. All of us will face God, right? We will face the ultimate judge on the day of judgment. And when I think about this, and I think about what it says here, right? It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Since Genesis chapter 2, that's the first mention of the word death or to die is in Genesis chapter 2. That is the first place that the idea that a human being could die is even introduced, right? It is the first place that is talked about it is in Genesis chapter 2. And since Genesis chapter 2, the entire human race, mankind, has been confronted with the reality of death, right? Genesis chapter 3, whenever the fall takes place, that is when death entered into this world. That is when this creation that was created created perfect, right, is corrupted by sin. And with it comes death, decay, and destruction. So that that is the corruption of sin, right? And it carries on until it is finally one day, at one point in the future totally eradicated. But, but anyways, the Bible is clear. We are all faced with the inevitable fact of death each and every day. The Bible is also clear that every one of us has an appointment with death. And really, it just gets down to, uh, to it at the time of death, all that matters, there's only one thing that's going to matter. Are you ready? Seriously, are you ready? Our text, really verse 27 is our text today. Our text is clear. It is appointed. Right? The scripture says, and as it is appointed. It is appointed. Death is certain. You're not going to escape it. I'm not going to escape it. Death is appointed unto men. It's personal. Death is certain and death is personal. And what is the next three words? Wants to die. It is irreversible. It is absolutely, completely irreversible. Death is certain, death is personal, and death is irreversible. And after this, the judgment. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's pretty clear, right? I want to make sure that you understand, right, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what this is saying today, that death is appointed, right, to, for all of us. It is, it is certain. It is personal. Uh, it wants to die. It is irreversible. And after this, the judgment. Are you ready? So, can I rephrase it? this away or can I say maybe I should say it like this 
here's what I want to say to you this morning. Will your line of reasoning, what I mean by reasoning is I mean thinking, logic, what you decide to live by and govern your life by and, and determines the decisions that you make. Will your line of reasoning do when you're dying? Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now let that sink in for just a minute. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Because we live in a world that is so blinded by so many false systems of belief, there is a real battle for the minds and for the souls of people. Right since the Garden of Eden, right, Satan has been trying to convince people that they know more than God. Since the Garden of Eden, he's been trying to convince people that they know better than God. Since, since the Garden of Eden, right, this is what he got in and got Eve to do, right? He has been trying to get people to second guess what God said, to second guess God's word, to second guess God's intentions, right? And, and he, is, he is trying to, uh, to get you to second guess uh, that God's intentions is justified. We live in a day and an age where people as a whole refuse to accept responsibility for their actions and for their choices in life, right? That's why it's popular today to, to just simply blame everybody and everything else, right, around us for where we are and how we live and the choices that we make, right? We want to blame society. We want to blame the government, right? We want to blame uh, different institutions. We want to blame big corporations. We want to blame our our parents, we want to blame our, our, our community, right? We want to blame anything and everything else. But the sad truth is, God gives us many, many, many opportunities. And we just throw them away. We do. God blesses us. He prevents tragedy in our lives all the time. He supplies our needs. He gives us every breath that we take. You stop and think about that. That ought to humble you just a little bit. Every breath, right? You can't go but, what, a couple minutes at the most. That's if you're really good at holding your breath, right? Without a breath of air. And every breath that you draw and that I draw, God gives it to us. The ability to draw that breath is God's handiwork. And on top of all that, think about this for a minute. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our mistakes, our wrongs, our sins. You think about that. He loves us so much. We screwed up Right? We were, we were created and put into a perfect environment, a perfect world without sin, without any of that stuff, right? Only one rule to follow. That's it. And we failed. And it just compounded. 
from there, it's just worse and worse. And as my old dad used to always say, it just keeps getting worser and worser and worser. And in spite of all that, he cared enough for you and I to send and give his only begotten son to die uh, one of the most horrific way that you could imagine. Not for what he done wrong, but for what we done wrong. And he gives us opportunity after opportunity to accept his offer of salvation. No cost, no strings attached. And we reject it. You know, I've thought about that over the years. I wasn't, I, I would never say, call it a Christian home that I was raised in. But I was raised by people and around people that knew. And they had obviously had some things instilled in them earlier in life. I can remember having conversations. I can remember being very young. I mean, not even in school yet. And sitting in, now this was before the days of car seats or anything like that. I rode in, in that old Chevy pickup standing up in the seat with both arms over the, you know, I mean, that was just the way it was then. But I can remember having a conversation. I actually remember the exact spot we were at going up the road and having a conversation with my mom trying to explain to me about heaven and how all that worked. I can remember at different times uh, being taken to church, and I'm sure that I heard the gospel message. I can remember the first time that God really convicted me and dealt with me. I was about 12 years old, maybe 13 years old, somewhere right in there, 14th of August. And it was an aunt that God used that got, I mean, as we would say right in my face, brutally honest about the state of my soul and what it was going to take to change that. And it shook me, and I never forgot. But I still rejected the message. I didn't accept it. I can remember time after time from that point forward, it seems like even more and more, and God put more people and more people in my life, right? Trying, right? Trying to show me, right? Trying to get me to accept Christ. I mean, that was the bottom line of it, right? They may have been coming in different ways and taking different angles and saying different things, but that was the bottom line. And I would turn. I would run. I would reject. I would deny. I can remember... Uh, different ones at different times inviting me to go to church and inviting me and inviting me so much that I felt bad or they had done things to help me and I really felt bad by not going and so I would just I would tell them I would go and then last minute I would make up excuses I remember the absolute worst time that I ever did that, and this was close to when I was getting saved I sent Jennifer and the kids in my place and made up a lie I mean that's what it really boiled down to as to why I couldn't go. I really wanted to, you know. No, I didn't. But that's what I told them. And God would have been completely justified to let that car hit me, let that semi smash me, to let my heart just stop beating, and for me to die and be burning in an eternal hell right now. He would have been totally, he would have already had went way beyond, above and beyond and done more than what was necessary. 
But yet, he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And here he is one more time, sending one more person. We have opportunity after opportunity, and praise the Lord, finally, finally, I accept him. Finally, I quit rejecting him. But don't think, I don't think often about what, I, what would have happened and how things turned out if I would have rejected him one more time. Here we are. We complain about everything. And everything is somebody else's fault. And here is God. Sending messenger after messenger. And we reject him. And all that what he's really wanting is he wants an authentic, real relationship with us. And sadly, too often, his offers are rejected. Just offhand. Without even really any thought being given to them. That's the way it was with me. It's not that I was adamant that I wanted to go to hell. It's not, I would say, if you, if you pushed me on it, that I didn't believe that, you know, some of this stuff, right? But really, what it, deep down, I knew that there was a God. I knew that there was a Creator. I mean, at different times and different places in my life, there was times where maybe I was angry with Him. There was times where maybe I, you know, just wanted to deny Him. But really, the truth is, deep down, right, there was times where I tried to believe many of the lies and many of the false systems of belief out there and understand anything having to do that, that explains the beginnings and the creation and so on and so forth. That's a system of belief. I don't care what it calls itself. And the rejection after rejection, my point is, is it's tragic. Oh, but we have our reasons. But it's still tragic nonetheless. That's why when we die lost, without God, having rejected his offer for forgiveness, having rejected Jesus and everything that he has done in our behalf, having turned away uh, his offer for a real, meaningful relationship with him, having essentially denied uh, the reality of a real, eternal heaven and a real, uh, eternal, burning hell, it really is a tragic death. And it's tragic because it was completely preventable it didn't have to be that way if there is an example in the bible of a man that died a more tragic death than Judas Iscariot I don't know who it is Scott read to us a little bit that the scriptures tell us about Judas but think about this for just a minute Judas was handpicked by Jesus to be a disciple Judas was privileged to hear probably almost every message that Jesus preached and every time Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. Judas was privileged to witness firsthand all those miracles that we read about and many that we don't read about that Jesus performed. 
He was privileged to see the many lives that Jesus touched and transformed. He was privileged to spend approximately three years with Jesus in ministry. Yet at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Judas betrayed the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Because of Judas's greed and selfishness in his line of reasoning, and one theory about why Judas did what he did was he was trying to push, Christ wasn't doing what he wanted Christ to do or what he thought he was doing, so he was trying to force his hand. Whatever it was, right, whether it was simply just greed and selfishness, whether that played into it, I don't know, but whatever it was, he re- rejected Jesus and all that Jesus had to offer for what could fit in one hand. And as tragic as that truth is, I hope this shocks you. You and I have had just as much opportunity as Judas Judas had, and yet we reject Jesus too. We witnessed firsthand Jesus' miracles and the results of his work in life. We've been privileged to hear his words and to hear him speak to us through his word, the scriptures, right? Through his messengers, right? By his Holy Spirit. I would say it would even be fair to say that we have been handpicked by Jesus too. I would say that because doesn't the Father draw us by his spirit? And doesn't the scripture tell us that we can't come to him unless we are first drawn? So what, let me ask you this. What is it? What is it that you are rejecting the Son of God for? Is it a little fleeting pleasure? Is it some money? Is it a job? Is it a career? Is it entertainment? Is it simply a convenience? Is it a person? Is it a possession? Something material? Oh, I'm sure... I'm sure you would say, oh, it's not like that. It's not like that. And then you'd try to justify what you're doing. I know, I did it for years. Well, I bet Judas's response would be very similar. I'm sure he had his own line of reasoning to justify why he was doing what he was doing, when he was doing it, and while he was doing it. But do you think that line of reasoning held up on the day of judgment? Of course it did not. So my question to you this morning is will your line of reasoning hold up on the day of judgment? Will it do on that day? When you're dying, Will it do when you're dying? That's my question to you this morning. That's my plea to you this morning. That's what I'm begging this morning, right? The scripture makes it clear to us. All of us have an appointment with God. Regardless of how you leave this world, you will face a all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Almighty, omniscient God who knows everything. And you will stand before him in judgment. And we think of it as in 
we'll give an account for everything and in a sense we will but the thing is is he already knows and so let me ask you will your line of reasoning whatever it is that you're using to justify your sin whatever it is that you're using to justify why you're rejecting God why it is that you're living the way that you are why it is that you're doing what you're doing or not doing what you know you should be doing will it do on the day of judgment will it do when you stand before your creator and your maker will it do would you stand to your feet God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son the perfect lamb slain from the foundation of the world died on Calvary's cross his lifeblood shed not for his own sins because he was without sin but shed for your sins and my sins to wash us clean hallelujah glory to the Lamb of God whiter than snow all we have to do is turn away from the world turn away from sin and turn to him repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand would you come this morning if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come? Spirit of God dealing with your heart this morning, would you come? Whatever it is here this morning, would you come? Maybe you realize this morning you're not where you need to be. Would you come this morning? Now's the time to make things right. Whatever it is, would you come this morning? Please, would you come this morning? Maybe you need a touch from God. Would you come this morning? Maybe somebody's heavy on your heart this morning. Would you come and pray for them this morning? Whatever it is, would you come this morning? Please, would you come this morning?